2: I'm Carl Quintanilla. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Julia Borston. Deirdre Bosa is off today. Stocks are selling off again. The Nasdaq was down a couple percent a moment ago. We're going to look at the high growth semis versus high growth software. The FTC twisting NVIDIA's arm. The volatility continues, of course. Where should investors put their money to work? Plus, on that theme, we've got two big movers today, the CEOs of Marvell and DocuSign are going to join us. Those stocks headed in opposite directions after reporting results. And then a buy call on Peloton. Why one Wall Street firm sees 80% upside from here. The stock is now reversing, though, some early gains. Julia.
0: And amid today's sell-off in the Nasdaq, two sectors stick out, semis versus software. The S-O-X-X outpacing cloud names by more than 40% year-to-date to the biggest movers in the past 24 hours, DocuSign and Mar-Vell, the chipmaker jumping more than 10% after CEO Matt Murphy told investors they could expect 9% revenue growth for the fourth quarter and 30% growth in fiscal 2023. Meanwhile, seeing a complete drawdown, plummets 40% as the company lowers its revenue guidance, the report spurring a flood of downgrades and price cuts with Citi's Tyler Radke calling the results, quote, one of the biggest SaaS whiffs in recent memory. Both CEOs will join us later this hour. John, just wondering what you see here as we see this divergence between the different pieces of tech.
3: Well, Julia, I mean, partly I think we're seeing a shift, a realignment in expectations. Like yesterday we had on Frank Slootman from Snowflake. We had on uh, Todd McKinnon from Okta. Look at those charts though. Uh, Both of those stocks had sold off and then they turn in these results and they pop up. by contrast, you take a look at what's happened uh, in a lot of the hardware names, the expectations hadn't been so hot. Uh, and so Carl, now that people are understanding, you know, particularly when it comes to Marvel, uh, I've been, we've been talking to Marvell a lot more this year. Uh, Matt Murphy has been acquisitive. He's been saying that they've got a lot of gas in the tank that people aren't accounting for, and this is the quarter. This is a breakout quarter. Uh, They just had an analyst day, and after this quarter, they're taking their projections up even above what they said at analyst day. This is a quarter when people are going to pay a different kind of attention to Marvell from here on out, I think.
2: Uh, John, absolutely. I mean, you you can't ignore what's going on with the Fed right now, Julia, but you got to also pay attention to what at least B of A points out this morning, and that is that normalization, in their words, will feel bearish. Uh, For TMT names, they say conditions during COVID were incredibly friendly to digital, to software, to e-commerce. It distorted everything. And that's being unwound. And along with that, models are being reset and valuations are being reset.
0: Yeah, I think that B of A comment really sums it all up. It says a lot about what happened with valuations, but I do think it's worth noting that as we talk about how the software stocks have been struggling in compared to the chip stocks, we, you know, you mentioned, uh, Snowflake. We're seeing some of these stocks can be outliers. Snowflake is a perfect. Example, But I think there's going to be a big question here, as especially as we talk to companies like DocuSign, of how much of the growth that they've seen has really been a pull forward and how much that growth is just simply unsustainable, even if the pandemic does continue in a sort of more hybrid work from home phase going forward with Omicron, Omicron and some of these other things. John?
3: Yeah, true. Uh, and you look at DocuSign again, zoom back to your chart. It's still trading at around the levels from mid last year. So even a 40 percent drop. Right. From from what levels? Oh, turning now to NVIDIA shares down more than four percent, just about five percent at this point this morning after the FTC suing to block NVIDIA's acquisition of chip platform company Arm. That deal worth about 40 billion dollars. The agency and chair Lena Khan saying the acquisition would limit innovation in the industry, giving NVIDIA control over key tech and designs used by its rivals. NVIDIA pushing back on the suit, saying in a statement that, quote, the combination of our companies can enhance competition in the industry as we work together on further building the world of AI. Carl, uh, this one, you know, in the analyst notes that I'm seeing, it seems like people are saying now chances are this doesn't go through. All of these acquisitions of ARM, Carl, never quite made a lot of sense to me the SoftBank thing, now this is, I mean, Arm is a platform company and in my mind, none of these acquisitions has done anything to make Arm any better. So, um, you know, it's, NVIDIA is still gonna make its case uh, and, and we'll see how this regulatory environment Plays out, but uh, you know, it's strange in a way for me to, to see this go. And Qualcomm, yep. still Qualcomm, still fighting Nvidia on this one. <laughs> yes, yep. Uh, there's
2: the UK uh, now. The FTC, Julia, and I think in, in time we've seen the analyst community certainly sort of uh, throw in the towel and say even whether it's valuation or strategic makes less and less sense as we go on. Uh, today, City takes their odds of a deal happening from 30 percent down to five.
0: Yeah. Look, I think that the analysts did not expect this deal to go through. I do think there's still a question of whether NVIDIA will fight it. Uh, it may just result in, in legal fees and this whole thing dragging out. And we'll see what happens there. But I don't think analysts think it needs to happen at this point, Carl.
2: Uh, Let's dive into the software names that we mentioned earlier amid the broader sell-off today. Our next guest's emerging cloud index down more than 15% from the all-time high last month. Uh, Joining us this morning, Bessemer Venture Partners, Byron Dieter. Byron, um, wow, what a change in tone and sentiment and valuation. Uh, Is this really about sort of year-on-year comparisons, or is this the fear of higher rates, or what do you think is the overriding dynamic?
4: It's been a wild one, Carl. Great to be back. And uh, yes, you wake up this morning, DocuSign down 40%, basically pulled the entire sector down with it. I go through my entire screen and the only green I see is Smartsheet out of about the 58 <laughs> cloud names. Uh, it, it's been brutal. And this is a roller coaster week where we had um, you know, AWS's reInvent. Many of us were out there with Adam and team this week. Rah, rah, big hopes for the future you're flying home. Salesforce boots their projections, takes the entire industry down with them. Yesterday, you've got this separation where you have Snowflake crushing their numbers, you have Okta crushing their numbers, and then you have a handful, you know, C3EI, um, Elastic, and, uh, you know, a couple others get pounded 10% plus, and then DocuSign last night. And so, you can look at four causes. You can look at Omicron. You can look at inflation. You can look at interest rates and you can look at profit taking. Um, and I've got strong views, but I don't buy the Omicron or inflation elements in this case.
2: You don't you because you don't believe the Fed will be aggressive or why? Why, why not?
4: Well, uh, Omicron is actually a, a counter indicator. Uh, as a reminder, working from home is actually very good for cloud stocks. And so this idea that um, the distributed economy is a net negative, I don't buy. And in fact, you saw the index had was the number one performing index on the entire NASDAQ last year because of this cloud accelerant. Now, uh, inflation indirectly or directly isn't a cause because tech is naturally deflationary at its core given uh, supply chain benefits and you don't have the raw materials inputs so that you do in other industries. However, the linkage downstream to inflation certainly could cause a rotation to value stocks and cash generative stocks um, over time. And I think that's what we're looking at. However, I think the biggest cause here is simply profit taking. When people have been looking at these multiples, they're getting anxious and you rotate from you know fear to greed very quickly and then back again to fear overnight last night. Um, I think people are looking at their books at the end of the year. They're looking at these multiples and they're saying, I'm going to optimize for short term versus long term. There's no doubt that long term these names are are strong. They're going to be growers. They're leading the new economy. But over the next few weeks, buckle up, folks, because it's going to be
5: bumpy.
0: Well, so, Byron, looking at some of those valuations and also the recent results from companies like Snowflake, which of these companies is best positioned going into next year?
4: So, I think the shocking thing about this is um, there's no obvious correlation. We've seen now infrastructure and apps, we've seen large and small, we've seen horizontal and vertical really separate with the haves and have nots. And so, um, the short term trades, I think you're probably seeing overreaction both ways. I'm excited that you're going to have Dan at DocuSign on uh, uh, later today. They're down 40%. I strongly suspect that's an overreaction, but let's hear what he has to say. Um, I think right now people go to the long-term view, you look for total addressable market, you look for pricing power with lock-in incumbents, you look for the long-term margin leverage, um, and you look for the bold teams that are going to give you a multi-year horizon. Uh, If you're looking for short-term trades, frankly, this may not be your sector because uh, this volatility is likely to remain for the coming weeks.
3: Yeah, I mean, Byron, you mentioned C3 and Elastic getting clobbered yesterday, but both of them actually have pretty good quarters, um, and, and then I look more broadly at some of these uh, names that have a transformation sort of at the root of the thesis, Stitch Fix, for example. It's down at 22 bucks a share, and it's not like anything has fundamentally changed with that company's execution. So to what degree is this really a sentiment thing around some of these names? And is there bargain hunting to be done for people who uh, who believe in the uh, transformative power of at least some of these companies' technology? So I, I
4: think that's the key insight for folks who are willing to take some risk and be aggressive right now, which is that you're seeing these massive reactions, and I think in many cases overreactions probably both ways. Um, is DocuSign 40% worse than it was yesterday? Of course not. What people are reacting to is the forward projections as they did with Salesforce, this sense of this built-in beaten and raise and the whisper numbers and this belief that the the rich multiples were partially justified because there was an embedded beaten raise that was yet to come. When people pull off that a little bit, you get this aggressive reaction. However, the entire index is now down to trading at about eight ta- uh, eighteen times revenue, which by historical standards doesn't look that crazy, especially when you overlay that these businesses are growing in the high thirty percent still and generating meaningful free cash flow. And so I think that there's a, a potential to do some cherry picking uh, off of this volatility right now and go for some high-quality names. And certainly if you're willing to, to put these stocks in a drawer, wake up in a few quarters and see how you did, I think people are going to be rewarded for it.
2: Hey, Byron, I wonder how you're thinking of semis versus software. Uh, one of the views out of B of A today is that there's simply not enough semi names to rotate into uh, and that might drive valuations higher that, than we've seen in quite a while. Does that explain some of the activity of the
4: past month? It does. And the interesting thing is you're actually still seeing scarcity in both sectors, uh, in the public cloud world, there's only 58 names in a combined market trap market cap of about two point two trillion right now. To put that in perspective, that's actually less than the crypto sector that sits just under $3, billion, three trillion, sorry. And so the entire 20 years of this cloud revolution is now valued below the few years of this wild crypto phenomenon. And so you have this dynamic where. People are rotating in and out. They're reacting to, you know, high volatility in a few names. And you're seeing this push down in the private sector. We've got, you know, some IPOs next week, including HashiCorp that I think are going to be closely watched because there is still this thirst and this demand for these high quality names. There's just scarcity across all sectors and people are rotating quickly given the the amplified movements in any single name.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about HashiCorp. What are you expecting from that IPO next
4: week? So we're investors uh, there. So unfortunately, I can't comment directly. I would just say that um, it's the, the only top five cloud stock left to go public this year when we published the Cloud 100 earlier this year. Um, You know, HashiCorp is one of the preeminent names that people have been waiting years for. Um, And so there's a lot of anticipation to see their listing next week. And then we're probably going to roll into uh, early 2022 before we see anything close to that quality. And there is a fantastic backlog of IPOs coming. This volatility will certainly, you know, cause folks to rethink a little bit the short term. But the shadow pipeline for late Q1 and early Q2 is fantastic.
3: Well, let's talk more broadly then about DevOps and, you know, that that segment of software. You know, we we see uh, Asana taking a little bit of a tumble, though it's been doing quite well lately. We've had Jen Tejada from PagerDuty on quite a bit. It it seems to me that there's an expanding group of companies. I guess we could throw Atlassian in there for a company of a much larger size as well that are really giving tools to developers uh, as they do this work Now, whether you're talking about metaverse or you're talking about uh, data center cloud, developers are key uh, architects and masons in this process. So uh, to what extent should uh, investors be paying attention to DevOps as an important area? Uh,
4: we believe that that is one of the most exciting categories uh, still ahead largely in the cloud space. You highlighted a few of the public names, and there are very few. So certainly, you know, PagerDuty, Atlassian, um, et cetera, are on that list. Uh, Twilio as well. Uh, If you look in the private side, Stripe is probably the highest valued public cloud company on the planet right now. Um, and that's one of these B2D or API-centric platform as a service companies that people are waiting to see go public. That's a trend that is lagged. You saw application adoption first, and then you saw infrastructure as a service adoption second. Really, it's this middle layer the API economy that we think is gonna power a lot of the next wave. The uh, Auth0 acquisition by Okta earlier this year was driven by that uh, phenomenon. Companies like, like Zapier harness some of these elements We think more and more that trend is going to usher in the next wave of many of the great public cloud companies
0: very interesting but back to your previous comments about valuation how do you see uh, valuations for that part of the market and are there any buying opportunities there
4: so we've been running hot for a while when i've been on prior shows um, there had been this this tension between super high quality um, and yet very rich valuations as these multiples were up in the you know, 23, 25 times run rate revenue numbers um, that was starting to get hard to justify on a growth adjusted basis, even with these fantastic growth rates. As you pull back into the teens, um, it, we absolutely believe as growth investors uh, that there's value to be had here in the long term sense, meaning hyper growth companies that can scale and can double and double again in the coming years will reward those patient investors. And so um, as you look at the names and as you look at these mega trends, such as DevOps, where you say the fundamentals underneath these markets are powerful, they're tailwinds, not headwinds, and the total addressable market in these segments is massive as more and more of these developers are empowered to make purchase decisions and are actually leading the IT buying for their organizations. Those are trends that are going to play out over many years. And if you hold those names patiently, you will be rewarded.
2: Yep. Investors uh, definitely looking for names that check all of those boxes you just listed, Byron. Uh, fascinating day. Good to see you. Thanks.
4: Thank you. Much appreciated. And
2: buckle
3: up. <laughs> Speaking of which, two huge interviews coming up. The CEOs of Marvell and DocuSign, the Nasdaq, meanwhile, down 2% in a day. Rare day where you've got then the S&P down one, the Dow down just a half a percent. Tech check. Just getting started.
2: NASDAQ down uh, 2.3% as you got a confluence of stories, a bit of a perfect storm, blowups like uh, Docu and Didi, some hawkish Fed speak today, and more curve flattening. You got the 10-year below 1.4 now for the first time since September, John.
3: Yeah, again, given that action in the NASDAQ, not a lot of tech names in the green. But here's one, shares of Marvell surging today. You can see it there, up 16%, the stock hitting an all-time high intraday after the company topped estimates for the third quarter. Revenue growing 61%. Analysts jumping on the positive results with a bunch of price target bumps and upgrades. Cowan taking the stock to buy, calling it, quote, a watershed moment for a Silicon Valley, for a Silicon powerhouse. And uh, Bank of America upping its price target to 115, saying Marvell is the next $100 billion cloud 5G enterprise semi-leader. Joining us now, Marvell Technology CEO, Matt Murphy. Uh, Matt, good morning. Uh, And you've been sharing with us uh, your thesis. I think the the viewers uh, who have been paying attention uh, aren't completely shocked by this, but it is cloud week. And even though you're a chip company, cloud is at the core uh, of what you've got going here. So please start there for those who might just now be paying attention. Why is cloud, why are the hyperscalers such an important part uh, of what's reflected here.
1: Sure, great. Good morning, John. It's great to see you and Carl and Julia. Uh, Yeah, we had a tremendous uh, performance in the quarter, uh, largely driven by our our data center business, which as you point out, uh, was was very strong. It uh, basically doubled year over year and we guided it to be up in the fourth quarter uh, double digits. So the the cloud business continues to be very strong for the company, and I think that's largely driven by, and uh, you can see it in in you know published reports in the news. But tremendous capex expenditures coming as these large hyperscale companies expand their applications, their services, and even futuristic types of things like the metaverse are going to require tremendous amounts of capital spending on data centers. And that's really good for Marvell as uh, one, it's we're a key player there, and it's also uh, the largest single part of our business. It's over 40% of our revenues is in data center.
3: And moving data around large amounts of data at high speeds requires uh, new technology that some of what your chips are are really responsible for. There's an auto play here too, right? We talk a lot about uh, the edge, Uh, of the network, the intelligent edge perhaps. So as that continues to play out, AI in cars, self-driving in cars, what's the impact for Marvell?
1: Yeah, I think the long-term opportunity for Marvell in automotive is enormous. If you think about the next 10 years, the biggest growth uh, growth driver in semiconductor demand inside automotive is gonna be for the data-centric type of semiconductors, the data-centric IP to, uh, to move the data inside the car, to process the data, to secure the data, and to even store the data. And those technology pillars are really Marvell's uh, strengths, whether that's uh, chips that we have today for cloud computing, for 5G, uh, even for the enterprise, we've taken those very complex, very high-performance data-centric technologies and now we're applying them to automotive and we see a groundswell of opportunity here, John. Uh, first, with our connectivity products, where we are one of the leading companies in the in car networking chips. We said that that business was actually on a $140 million run rate, uh, up from prior guidance of about $100 million, and that's growing on a, it's doubling every year. But we also see new opportunities in compute, storage, and, and other applications for the, for the cars of the future.
0: I want to hear more about some of those opportunities, especially in areas around 5G and even the metaverse. But first, I think it's important to talk about supply constraints. I know you factored supply constraints into your very bullish growth outlooks, but I'm wondering where you see supply constraints impacting you down the line.
1: Sure. Yeah, Julia, we we were very pleased to deliver the kind of revenue growth that we saw. And also the guidance was obviously very strong for the fourth quarter. And we also gave an indication for next year of the company's ability to grow its revenues by about 30%. Uh, that being said, we also mentioned that we were still not able to make a real meaningful dent in the unfulfilled backlog or the delinquent backlog. So uh, while we're growing the company in revenue and we're, 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 we're really barely keeping up with demand, as we look out into next year, there still our constraints that are constraints that are in the system. Uh, Particularly on the more advanced and cutting edge types of um, technologies, in particular in packaging technology, you know, complex substrates. And then there's also some different constraints as you get into the wafer fabrication side. Uh, interestingly enough, on some of the older legacy nodes, where there's just been a tremendous amount of demand across the industry for applications like automotive, like IOT, like industrial. And so the supply chain partners we have are obviously working through that situation and they're investing heavily in CapEx. But in the meantime, it's, uh, it's very tactical in terms of our, our need to really figure out where the, where the demand is, how do we allocate the supply properly to that demand and keep up with growth. But it really, it's a first class problem uh, and we're just heads down focused on supporting our customers through this.
0: And tell us a little bit about the 5G demand. I'm curious if the fact that AT&T and Verizon have had to delay their 5G rollout because of those FAA airline concerns, if that is having any impact or if you see additional demand coming around the metaverse around 5G.
1: Sure, Julia. So the global 5G rollout continues to be very strong. Uh, It started a few years ago with, with Korea. It moved to China. And now it's in full force in the United States, in Europe uh, India will be, will be big next year. Uh, just to give an indication, we guided our 5G business at Marvell up in the fourth quarter, 30% sequentially. So we see strong deployments of 5G, uh, in the U, in the US, I, I think the view is the, uh, the carriers are still deploying. They're working on the issues, obviously with the FAA, we don't see any impact to our business. And remember as well for, uh, uh, for, the, for, the, for the Marvel side, we had very little share in 4G, so a lot of our growth, candidly, is not only driven by the deployments of 5G, but the gain in, in market share and content that we have really in all the major players. So that's, that's exciting. We expect that to continue, not just in the fourth quarter and into next year. With respect to the metaverse, I think what's interesting when you start looking at whether it's the metaverse or NVIDIA talks about the omniverse or really any of these virtual environments the, um, the infrastructure that's going to be required to support that is going to be uh, uh, tremendous, meaning you're going to have really a significant increase in the amount of computing capability, network bandwidth, but also latency, which means how fast you can experience the virtual world in, in, uh, in the metaverse. And 5G, one of the big benefits that it brought was a was a dramatic improvement in latency. So it almost gives you wirelessly real world feel. And we think that that could be one of the killer apps. As you think about 5G in the future is really moving to virtualized environments. It's going to be actually a necessity uh, in the wireless world.
2: That's incredible. I I wonder about how you're thinking about that kind of secular growth versus uh, cyclical growth. And what you say to those who are arguing that there will be not just uh, inventory normalization in calendar 22, but an inventory uh, overload.
1: Sure. Well, well, Carl, I've been uh, in the semiconductor industry since 1994. I've seen all kinds of these up cycles and the down cycles in the aftermath. And fundamentally, there is still cyclicality in the semiconductor market. The interesting thing about Marvel, and we gave color on this yesterday, was that despite uh, some of what some of the concerns industry wide, our business looks to be uh, incredibly strong because of the secular trends. Uh, we see our business growing uh, about thirty percent next year. Actually, we did an acquisition of a of a company called Innovium recently that will add about one hundred and fifty million dollars of incremental revenue on top of that growth. And the reason, Carl, is that our biggest you know, growth drivers are, as we talked about earlier, it's the cloud, it's 5G, and it's automotive. And those businesses are growing uh, in excess of 40% a year, the, that basket for Marvell mm. annually. And, and that's actually gonna accelerate even beyond that next year. So we have our own unique growth drivers, uh, which are gonna continue not even next year, but we even have a step up, really we see the year after and beyond. So I think there's some unique things going at Marvell. It didn't just happen overnight. We've been we've been at this for five years, Matt. And I just want to thank the, the, the team we've got at Marvell for what what we've been able to accomplish. It's it's nothing short of uh, of uh, fantastic.
3: Yeah, it's, it's quite uh, a journey that you've started and continue to be on. Before we let you go, I got to touch on something we've touched on before, but that's customization, because there are a lot of people who might think uh, existing chip makers who have their own IP that are dealing with hyperscalers, large companies, that they're under pressure because these companies want their own designs in some cases. They want customization. But I want to make sure that the viewers understand your answer and explanation to how Marvell plays into that customization environment.
1: Yeah, thanks for asking that, John. Uh, Customization is a critical aspect actually of all of these high volume markets that we talked about. The hyperscale is certainly one. This is where Marvell excels. When you see any of these companies announcing that they've hired a new silicon team or they're developing their own chip, there's a strong possibility that Marvell is involved behind the scenes with those companies. So think of us as a critical design enabler and design partner We have tremendously important and unique IP across uh, networking, across uh, high performance computing, interconnect, security. And so what we do really is we partner with our customers in 5G, in automotive and in the cloud to really enable them to make the chip that they want for their specific application. And so typically that's done in a partnership model where their Silicon team contributes their special thing that they need for their application, whether it's to accelerate computing or to do some specialized kind of processing, let's say in 5G, but, but behind the scenes, it's Marvell that's really helping to stitch the entire chip together, providing the fundamental IP, providing the manufacturing support, the yields. Uh, and so, we, and we're happy to, to do that, to be behind the scenes and you know let our customers put their own logo on their chip, yeah. But, but what we do is basically, we do that for a living and increasingly, John, I think that is an industry trend and we've got one of the most differentiated business models and kind of company set up to be able to take all of the best of Marvell and really go into these high volume applications and partner deeply with our customers and there's really, really very few other companies in the world that are able to do that at our scale.
3: Indeed, yeah, uh, a lot of analysts calling this A breakout quarter of the stock right now up about 17.5%. Matt Murphy, CEO of Marvell, thank you. Yeah, great to see you guys.
2: Meanwhile, Nasdaq's off the intraday low. Still, though, uh, the worst three-day start to December for the Nasdaq in about 20 years, uh, thanks to Bespoke for that. Half past the hour, let's get a news update with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel.
8: Hi, Carl. Good morning, and here's what's happening at this hour. America's service sector posting record growth last month. ISM's key index hitting an all-time high for a second month in a row. Some of the strength coming from supply chain issues that make it harder to meet increased demand. October factory orders also jumped far more than expected. The November jobs report painting a mixed picture of the labor market. Just 210,000 new jobs were created and the retail industry lost jobs. But the unemployment rate fell to a pandemic low of 4.2 percent. President Biden emphasizing wage gains by American workers.
6: Even after accounting for rising prices, the typical American family has more money in their pockets than they did last year. In fact, we're the only leading economy in the world, where household income and the economy as a whole are stronger than they were before the pandemic.
8: Shares of Ulta Beauty now falling more than a percent. That's despite posting a big earnings beat and strong growth in comparable store sales. The stock had soared about 7% in after-hours trading. Ulta shares, though, still up about 30% this year. You're now up to date. Carl, I'll send it back to you.
6: All right.
2: Uh, as we said a moment ago, not a great start to December for at least the Nasdaq volatile week. Nasdaq's now down nearly 5% in the last month. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, looking at some of the key parts of the market, tech, IPOs, and
9: uh, big drawdown now uh, for Kathy Woods' arc, Mike. Yeah, Carl. those are the areas where there's been the most aggressive, high stress kind of surrender of early gains that we saw built up uh, into the early part of this year. That's why I wanted a two-year chart showing the NASDAQ 100 ETF, the QQQ, along with the ARK Innovation flagship fund of ARK, as well as the IPO ETF. Amazing amount of convergence here. But just look at how people got nuts with the secular growth sector uh, back in the early part of this year. Now, obviously, this is mostly uh, about loss of price momentum initially, loss of fundamental momentum in expensive stocks, that's what you see in DocuSign. It's what you've seen in Zoom. It's what you've seen in Peloton. And then I think it becomes portfolio stress. People who are taking big losses in those names also own other stuff. They also own other bigger tech stocks. And that's why I do think you have the pressure that's spilling away, even though. And can we finally put to bed the when yields go lower tech rallies uh, story? Because it doesn't always happen. We've seen that in the last couple of weeks. I do think on a relative basis, this is not necessarily a new game. I think it's more the same year end mechanical dynamics. Uh, and, and essentially, uh, risk aversion starts to rise when you have a VIX at 30 and uh, some of your biggest, more aggressive holdings uh, are, are losing in a big way on the other side of things. So all those things, I think, complicating a picture uh, where you also don't have the typical rotations you would with strong economic data into cyclicals just because of the uh, COVID threat that we're now facing. That's the pinch that I think the, uh, the market is in at the moment.
3: Hey, Mike, when you compare this. To February, particularly when we're talking about growth, we're talking about tech. I wonder the signs that you would look for to see whether this is a dip down where they're perhaps going to come back up versus this is a dip down that then drags other things down with it over the longer term. What, what are the sort of either time periods or markers that you would look for? I think you, first of all, want to start
9: looking at the fund flows. Uh, you know, obviously, the, the, the big kind of very loud message you were getting in the early part of this year was $6 billion in six weeks going into uh, the ARK Innovation Fund. I believe that was the number uh, from the start of this year into mid-February. Uh, massive, massive stampede. And uh, are we going to see it on the downside? That would sort of pressure things on that part of the market uh, down the road. I mean, uh, you know, technology ETFs in general actually have had a big inflow. So people keep going back to that well, thinking it's still going to be uh, a performance sector. And so those are the, you know, uh, I think the clues you want to see is fresh money sweeping in or sweeping out, which tends to be more an exacerbating factor rather than the underlying driver of what happens. But it creates big swings up and down.
2: Mike, I know we've talked about this before. Uh, that is the the pain underneath the index level. But this stat out of B of A today, 32 S&P names are off of their highs less than the overall index.
9: I yeah. thought that was astounding. It is amazing. I was just looking at that. Uh, I think on a median basis, the, uh, the, the median S&P stock is down 12 percent. Uh, off of its of course, the S&P down around five uh, at the max. So it does show you uh, an amount of just culling that's been going on constantly in waves. And again, in the last couple of weeks, the big change from earlier parts of the year, and this is the third 5% pullback in the S&P we've had this year. It's not anything extraordinary on that level. But the difference here is you've kind of interrupted the normal rotation between growth tech, uh, growth defensives and cyclical reflation trades because of the introduction of uh, the COVID threat at the same time the Fed wants to seem attentive toward inflation. So I think that's why we're in a little bit of a limbo on a Friday, not knowing uh, two days worth of headlines, but still kind of respecting yesterday's lows in the S&P so far.
0: In, in limbo on a Friday, Mike, thanks so much for breaking it all down for us. Now, let's stick with today's sell-off and drill into the stay-at-home trade. COVID winners like Zoom and DoorDash are slowing down. Another pandemic darling getting hit hard today. DocuSign reporting results, revenue, and billing guidance that all miss estimates. Take a look at those shares today, down more than 40%. With us now to discuss the quarter's DocuSign CEO, Dan Springer. Dan, thanks for joining us. Break it down for us. What is behind the dramatic slowdown, not just for this quarter, but also behind the lower-than-expected guidance?
7: Julie, if you step back and think about what we've been saying ever since the pandemic took our already strong and high-growth company and accelerated it dramatically to higher growth rates, we knew that that would come down at some point, and beginning of this year, we thought it would come down sort of more evenly across the year. Our first half ended up being much stronger. The last time we spoke was uh, after Q2, and we said, "Yeah, we were a little bit surprised uh, that it was still uh, so strong in terms of the growth." Um, but it hit us much harder in Q3, uh, so much so that we we actually missed our billings guides, which we've never had any you know miss in any of our metrics, and that's what I think you see the uh, you know strong market reaction. We think it's an overly strong reaction, uh, but we're bound to be in that position.
0: Yeah, analysts are saying that this is a thesis changing print. I'm wondering if, if this quarter's results and the guidance indicate that what you saw in the past, say, six quarters, was really just a pull forward. And if you see other factors at play, such as uncertainty um, around interest rates, et cetera, that is going to be keeping your customers from wanting to invest in, in more different services.
7: Yeah. Yeah. I would love to be able to personally tell you, I think some of the macro impacts that are of course out there and everyone is feeling were sort of a, a primary driver. I don't think that's the case. I think this is DocuSign execution. Uh, we, we did know that we would see, you know, that come, come down from the big, uh, pandemic push, and we did uh, pr- prefer to believe we could land it a little more evenly than we did with having such a strong uh, H1 and then you know a much weaker uh, H2. Uh, but what we've seen is the demand for our products is still strong. Uh, we don't have customers leaving us. Uh, we have high net retention rates. We have a huge TAM. Uh, we see incredible customer success in what we do. Uh, the piece that DocuSign missed is we got to a place over the last year, year and a half, where we were sort of fulfilling demand. And what we'd always done in the past is generated demand, out there driving customer success, finding new use cases. Uh, And as a field, as a go-to-market organization, we just pulled back from that, and we shouldn't have. Uh, And that's sort of my responsibility to quickly get back on track, uh, as we will, and you'll see us uh, return to the strong growth we had pre pandemic
3: Yeah. Dan, I want to go a layer deeper into exactly what you just said, because, first of all, I'm wondering, uh, can you give some color on your customers' buying patterns and uh, tempering. And then this move that you've made to take the uh, sales and marketing organization under the COO and more intentionally go to generate demand. How long is that going to take, you think, to uh, to show a change in the results? And um, how are you going to measure how well that's happening?
7: Yeah. So, John, if you think about what, you know, what Julie just said before, I think was sort of spot on. If you had that sort of pulling forward of demand uh, and that sort of exacerbated the change when we said, hey, we think we've now satiated that demand and people said, we've bought a lot of DocuSign and that's fantastic and we're going to continue to use it and grow. Now we need to go back out and generate uh, the new use cases and have people sort of see that high ROI across broader aspects of their company. That's really what the sort of the missing piece was for us, was not getting back to that action, uh, how long it takes. Um, I don't think it takes a long time because it's not a new model we're trying to create. We're just going back to the old mode that we did for years uh, where we delivered very consistent high growth. I think that's the same model you'll see from DocSign in the future. Uh, We sort of said, we think this is an H1, H2 story. And so, you know, for H2, uh, we had lower billings in Q3, you know, and we guided to lower than our initial Uh, you know, goals we had previously for Q4. Uh, And that's the timeframe we think we'll be able to sort of write uh, that activity uh, and be back to where we uh, we were in the prior uh, years.
2: Dan, I think it's interesting that you're, you know, you're sort of falling on your sword on this execution uh, argument, which makes sense. But others point out that we've gotten disappointing bookings guidance from giants uh, from Microsoft, Salesforce, Twilio, um, and that it really does sort of represent a pull forward in aggregate for the industry. I don't understand why you're not leaning into that a little bit more.
7: So I, I believe that's absolutely a factor. And as I said before, I think some of the macro you're talking about, I'm absolutely sure exacerbated that phenomenon I described. Um, but we have the clarity with our customers and the high ROI they're getting. So even with that macro, we should have performed at a, at a much better level. And we should have been doing the motion that we recognize we've always done. And I can see very clearly how we had sort of lost that uh, execution where it needed to be. And I think I also see very clearly how we can get back to that mode. That's why I say the primary driver for us was in landing the COVID you know, bump, which we were, we were pleased to have uh, you know that extra growth, but we didn't land it properly uh, because we sort of took took my eye off the uh, of the ball and the execution uh, in the field.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I I think I agree with Carl that there does seem to be a broader. Issue with software right now, but I'm curious specifically about Omicron. I mean, it seems like yeah. a new variant, the extension of the pandemic, would be a good thing for your stock. I'm wondering, obviously, it's very early in us knowing much about this variant, but if you have any sense of how that could impact demand for your for for your services?
6: Well,
7: well, so just like the you know the initial you know COVID burst, to be absolutely clear, we think the pandemic is terrible on virtually every dimension, and of course, trying to run the business you know with our DocuSign team not being able to be in the office together, you know. Has been difficult uh, as well, but um, we don't sort of see, at least at this point, any visibility towards sort of a a second boost, if you will, uh, you know, COVID-related. We think that the customers we had, and we added, you know, fifty-nine thousand new ones in the last quarter, uh, are saying we're, we're set up right on DocuSign, and now we need to expand those relationships. We'll continue to add. Uh, Many, many new customers and we'll go through that same process of land and expand. I don't think we expect at this point to see some some dramatic extra boost, even if there were, uh, you know, increased lockdowns and and more dramatic impact uh, from from another uh, strain. Uh, of coronavirus. It's possible that it would, but again, I think we're really focused on saying, let's control what we can control. Let's execute uh, against uh, the clear opportunity we see with a $50 billion TAM, fantastic market leadership position, and a high ROI signature product, and this exciting DocuSign Agreement Cloud with all the new products we see coming out. I just I feel like we can control our destiny pretty well uh, right there.
0: Well, DocuSign share is down more than 40%. We appreciate you coming on to talk to us today, Dan.
7: Thank you very much.
2: We'll get a lot more on today's sell-off after the break. NASDAQ is once again close to session lows, down about 2.4% as we are in the sixth straight move for the S&P of 1% or more. That's the longest streak since November of last year. Back in
6: two. Canva presents unexplained appearances. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one Mc Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a
8: detour.
2: There's no lack of movers today. Let's get to Dom Chu and get some of them, Dom.
5: All right. So, Carl, what it comes down to is it's very much about the Nasdaq and specifically the biggest companies in the Nasdaq, the Nasdaq 100. If you take a look at that, it's a lesser degree this market sell off about the broader S&P 500 and even a lesser degree with regard to the 30 stock Dow Jones Industrial Average. Now, what I want to point out is for the Invesco QQQ Trust, this is the main ETF that a lot of traders use to track that bigger NASDAQ 100 trade. The reason why it's important is today, $380 and roughly 75 cents or thereabouts, that represents the 50-day average price on a rolling basis for this particular NASDAQ 100 tracking vehicle. Now, it bounced off there. We're right around session lows right now, and it bounced there as well. This is, the first of the, this is the first time that we've actually kind of broken to the downside towards that level for the NASDAQ 100 overall. We've done it already for the S&P 500, for the NASDAQ Composite, and the Dow. So it's something to keep an eye on from an index level. Now, within that, if you take a look at some of the real action within those currents kind of underneath, you can kind of see... Software very much in focus here. Adobe and Intuit both down about four and a half to eight and a half percent. Two of the biggest decliners in the Nasdaq 100. Even Zoom Video, uh, one of those places that if Omicron really was the bigger concern here, you might see a little bit of a bid there. Zoom Video down. Advanced Micro and NVIDIA also down north of five percent as well. So that DocuSign trade may be carrying out into other pandemic plays as well. Also want to keep your eyes focused on what's happening within the NASDAQ 100 on the Chinese Internet side of things. Among the biggest decliners in the index so far, Trip.com down 10 percent, JD.com 9 percent, Baidu, Pinduoduo, similar moves, and then NetEase down about 6 percent as well. So that's driving a lot of that NASDAQ 100 trade. And then, of course, we have to talk about the ones that really matter. That's going to be Apple. That's going to be Microsoft. That's going to be Alphabet. that's going to be Amazon. It's going to be Tesla. Those five stocks represent roughly 40 percent of the NASDAQ 100. You can see Apple actually not doing terribly, down one and a half percent. Microsoft down three percent. Alphabet down one and a half percent. Similar percentage declines for Amazon. And then Tesla down six and a half percent right now. So those are the ones that are really driving a lot of the action, Carl, so far with us right now.
2: Yeah, we can't count on the giants today. That is clear. Uh, Dom, thanks very much. You got it. As the Nasdaq tries to hang on
3: to 15K uh, by a thread here. Stay with us. Welcome back. Nasdaq is now down just over 2.5%. Let's get a gut check on Peloton. Been a rough year for that stock. Down around 75% from its January 14th all-time high. But Deutsche initiates at a buy. They say although it has been a tough ride in 2021, Patients will be rewarded, and that right now the market is only looking at the company as a stay at home play. Just like the office, they think the hybrid work model extends to fitness too. Price target of $76 implies 80% upside from here. TechCheck will be back in a few minutes. Well, it's been a hurricane week for tech stocks. Perfect storm for cloud week here on TechCheck. Take a look at some of the stock performance. DocuSign, Elastic, Salesforce hit hard. Snowflake popped on its results, still down 7% in the last week. Box, one of the few names in the green. We got insight on what's beyond the horizon from leaders across the sector this week. Take a listen. We are kicking off Cloud Week here on TechCheck. Perfect week for it, given all the enterprise software names, hosting earnings. Looking forward to all of those interviews. Amazon Web Services holding its 10th annual
5: reInvent conference in Las Vegas this week. The innovation we have on our cost structure will dwarf any inflationary effect. We really see insatiable demand for new instances powered by new chips with even better price performance. We're just getting started. Multi-cloud
1: strategy is actually very much top of mind in making sure that I have the right set of solutions from all the vendors that are out
9: there, in addition to cybersecurity.
8: We're going to turn our data center into a private local zone with AWS, and then migrate our first market to the cloud in 2022. Whatever comes
2: around, hybrid, remote, back in the office, and that's where the strength of enterprise is gonna come from.
1: Joining
8: us now, Box co-founder and CEO, Aaron Levy. You've got hybrid
3: you have digital transformation, and you have cybersecurity challenges that every large organization is facing. And so when you think about those three challenges, content sits at the center of how companies are going to be able to work in the future. Snowflake's chairman and CEO. As enterprises and institutions get their data in the cloud, once they start migrating their, their databases, all of a sudden, you know, all the friction is gone. It's very, very easy to to spin up new clusters, new warehouses, new workloads.
8: Joining us now, C3AI CEO.
3: I think the story is going. we have a billion dollars
6: cash in the bank. We're the world's leading provider of enterprise AI applications. I think Everything's going to be fine.
3: After CEO Todd McKinnon. What we're seeing over and over is companies talk to us, identity is at the center of that. And to get that right, they have, a, have to have a strong, neutral, independent identity
1: platform. And we're here working hard to provide that for them.
3: Julia, if uh, valuations were a problem, perhaps for some of these names, they're less of a problem now. Sometimes when a stock drops, it's a red flag. Sometimes it's a bargain. And hopefully, these insights are helping our viewers decide which is which.
0: Great stuff this week, John. I think it's really interesting to that point about valuations to look at the year-to-date performance of some of these companies. I mean, Salesforce now up just 13% year-to-date, Snowflake up 20% year-to-date. And then if you look, of course, at some of the chip companies that still have cloud at the center, like Marvell, Marvell up 75% year-to-date, Carl.
2: Yep. Uh, That was a really good montage of an incredible week of coverage, John. You know, in all of that, I still think it was memorable what Tom Siebel said about uh, industry baskets that are going to benefit the most from the cloud. He said life sciences and medicine and solving future diseases. I mean, pressing issues that we're all dealing with. Um, We're hoping that kind of promise uh, stays true.
3: Yeah. And take that thread back. Think about automotive. Think about what Cristiano Amon told us. Just a couple weeks ago at Qualcomm's Analyst Day, we saw that stock pop. And then what Matt Murphy of Marvell just said as well, Julia. And then we hear about the metaverse now and then, which I still believe. I mean, the underlying trends, yes, but overall, maybe not a thing.
0: Well, speaking of metaverse, just want to pull up some of those social stocks that are down more than the broader market. Meta, Pinterest, Twitter, Snap, those stocks all lower today, Carl.
2: Yeah. NASDAQ worst day, guys, since September 28th, uh, now down 6% in the last couple of weeks. It'll be a busy week next week. We'll get CPI a week from today. Uh, We'll get Stitch Fix and um, GME and Chewy and Lulu. And of course, a ton of analyst meetings. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11
6: a.m. Life is a highway.